This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We recently finished our rewatch of the TV series, and now we're taking a break, and we're talking about other TV shows and movies and pop culture that we love. This week, we're talking about the series finale of WandaVision, uh, heads up, spoiler alert, and we spent a few minutes talking about The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Hope you enjoy. So yeah, I saw Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, before I saw Walk the Line. Oh man. You wow. cannot take Walk the Line seriously after you've seen Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. It's impossible. Because yeah. while, while, I mean, Walk Hard is kind of a, a parody of, of a lot of biopics because it's got a little bit of, of, of Ray and, and other ones in there too. Right. It mostly centers in on uh, Walk the Line, obviously. And it just calls out Walk the Line so well on all of its tropes. Like you just can't take it seriously, especially if you saw See, walk, especially if you saw walk walk hard first. Right. Well, and that's the thing. I think that if if you've seen walk hard first, I would agree with that. But because I saw walk the line first, and so many times, like I saw that like three times when it was in the theaters. I bought it was like a day one DVD, you know, purchase for me. I, I watched it a lot. And so for me. It almost the reverse was true. I had a hard time enjoying Walk Hard the first time I saw it. Because it was hard for me to have a sense of humor about it because I loved and appreciated Walk the Line so much. Because not that it is devoid of the tropes that you're talking about, but because it nails them. I, I, I That's a hill I'll die on. I think Walk the Line is probably one of the finest like of that kind of film. It's better than Ray by a country mile. And I know Ray gets a lot of the, the praise, but I think Walk the Line is far better than Ray. I think Ray is much more paint by numbers than Walk the Line is. That's fair. It's anchored by a brilliant performance, don't get me wrong. Jamie sure. Foxx is stellar. Mm-hmm. But I also would argue that Jamie Foxx is doing more of an impersonation, whereas Joaquin Phoenix is actually inhabiting the role. Sure. I can see that. I want to go but, back. I want to go back and revisit both. Like I went out and I bought the the soundtrack for for Walk Hard. Oh yeah. The thing is, like John C. Riley, he actually has a really good voice. Yes. Yeah. For uh, sure. And uh, I can't remember which one, but like there's a uh, there's one that's very inspired, like by like a, kind of like a Marty Robbins, uh, down in the West Texas town of El Paso, like that, like that style. It is very. Whatever, and it's like, oh wow! If I heard this out of context, I would buy this as an actual, like, legitimate right. song that came out at some point. It's. I mean, the thing is, is like, upon repeated viewings and having seen it a couple of times since the first time I saw it, uh, I was. I mean, I was able to to absolutely enjoy it. Um, but but it's weird for me, I guess, because because I'd seen Walk the Line first. It. It never diminished my ability to to like enjoy and take walk the line seriously. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. That's just, I just, I get, yeah. I just uh, Tim Meadows. Yeah, his line at the beginning: "Leave him alone, son." Dewey Cox needs to think about his entire life before he plays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I and I will admit, at the time, I kind of had a low key crush on Jenna Fisher. Uh, 
oh, from sure. the office, and she also plays the the June Carter role in right, right, right. Walk Hard. Yeah, yeah. Jack White in his cameo as Elvis. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Um, Fun stuff. But we are not here this yeah. week to talk about Walk the Line or Walk Hard. Maybe we should sometime. I mean, I maybe know. we should. Like, yeah, right. Like totally I mean, we could talk about that Beatles scene. Uh, oh god. <laughs> uh, totally switch up the genres. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, we we uh, we decided to come back. We talked about uh, WandaVision and Queen's Game a little bit last week, and the finale of WandaVision was uh, this Friday, as of we're recording. So we thought we'd come back and talk about that. I think it's safe to say this is going to be a very spoiler heavy. Oh uh, yeah, thing. yeah. If you have not seen the last episode of WandaVision and you are interested in no spoilers, uh, maybe. Thanks for visiting. Thanks for dropping in for like four minutes. But right. uh, <laughs> maybe, uh, yeah, maybe maybe skip this episode. Do we do it? But you know, before we dive in, do we have any 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 housekeeping? Anything that we should um, say? I mean, obviously, we you know we were able to share which had already been shared, and of course, everybody you know kind of already knew. But Dean Stockwell's eighty fifth birthday. I, that's that's uh, the only housekeeping note I had that I was going to bring up. Yeah, because uh, someone um, uh, I I think it was in our group. Like someone brought up, like they thought that Dean Stockwell had passed away. Um, yes, and I said no. And then after I posted that, I was like, you know what? He is living such a private life now. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'd know. His, I think his, his wife uh, has actually been I – mean, I've read a few things about um, her doing some interviews and, and doing some, you know, some like small, small bits of press here and there kind of on his behalf, um, you know, talking about things. It, it, from, from everything that I read, like the most recent thing I want to say was from like two or three years ago uh, was that he was doing very well. That he that, that he was actually that he had recovered very well from the stroke, um, you know that that it was just kind of his his choice and 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 again as we kind of mentioned on the podcast like the guy started acting when he was like five you know what I mean yeah. like he you know if 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 he decided the last thing he did was you know in his in his mid seventies that's still like a seventy year career you that's know? still yeah. Uh, and obviously with health issues and all that sort of stuff, you know, what, what would, could, what more could one expect or want? But, um, yeah, it, it sounds like, uh, uh, you know, based on kind of the more recent stuff that he was doing well, um, in spite of, in spite of the stroke, uh, it is interesting that just a random tangent, uh, Jessica and I, when we finished watching the last episode of WandaVision, we just kind of started talking about Disney in general. And, uh, and we ended up talking about animated Disney films and she was talking about the movies she grew up with. And I was like, well, the eighties were kind of barren. There weren't a lot of great Disney animated films released in the eighties or the seventies really for that matter. Like the bulk of them came, you know, in the forties and fifties and then the nineties. And so, uh, you know, we went all the way back to Snow White, Dean Stockwell's father was the voice and model for Prince Charming in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Oh, wow. What's his father's yeah. name? Oh, gosh. Harry, I think. Henry. And it's so funny because Jessica immediately was like, is that any relation? And I was like, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't think so, but maybe it is. And she looked it up, and sure enough, it was it was his father. And I just thought that I was like, wow, I, you learn something new every day. Well, how about that? Was it uh, Little Mermaid? Was that kind of like the return to glory? Yes. Okay. Little Mermaid, and then Lion King. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. Yeah. I remember 
Uh, last tangent, maybe before we dive in, um, <laughs> my the the small hometown that I grew up in, um, it had a movie theater like in the eighties, and then it shut down. And then when I was a the summer between my freshman and sophomore year in high school, they opened a two screen movie theater, and the first two movies that they had were The Lion King and The Flintstones, the live action <laughs> movie with John Goodman, Rick Moranis, yeah, yeah, Rosie yeah. O'Donnell. And uh, I, had, I hadn't even heard of The Lion King. And I thought, oh, what the, what the Lion King? Fuck that. I'm going to go watch The Flintstones. And, uh, history proved me wrong <laughs> on, uh, on that one. Didn't The Flintstones get, like, two sequels, though? Like, uh, I think it was a different cast, but, like... I think it got... And the first one had, like, Liz Taylor in it as well. Like, it's kind of mind-boggling to think that... I know it got at least, like, one... One sequel. I'm not even sure if it was a, a theatrical release or it was a direct. It might have just been straight to yeah. straight to video. Yeah, but my hometown had a two screen movie theater. Then I think they eventually expanded to three. And it, there's there's no like the walls were so thin and the space was so small. Like I remember um, when Star Trek Generations came out, I went and watched it over in a, in a bigger city. But then I watched uh, another movie a couple weekends, like like a like some like quiet quieter romantic comedy or something. Um, while while Generations was playing on the next screen, and I could tell when the saucer of the Enterprise crashed on the planet. Oh man! <laughs> while I was sitting in the middle of my other movie, because that's how paper thin the walls were. Oh, small towns, you gotta love them, right? Gotta love them. But anyway, uh, so One Division final episode thoughts. Yeah, what'd you think? That is such a loaded question. Um, I overall, uh, I enjoyed it. I, 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 I think for me, one of the things that came out of the conversation that Jessica and I had after we watched it together uh, is that if this show's mission, the big box it wanted to check from the get-go, was to make Wanda a deeper more interesting character that I could attach myself to in the same way that we attached ourselves to, you know, Captain America and Iron Man and Thor and, and really just make her one of the most interesting characters in the MCU mission accomplished. They did what they set out to do. Uh, I'm invested. I want to see what's next. I'm, I'm willing to, you know, pay my, 15 bucks when movie theaters open back up and go sit in a movie theater and watch a movie anchored by that character. Um, so I, I feel like in that respect, it was successful. I think that it, it, there's a lot of criticism that it's getting that is completely unjustified and is simply just, you know, fanboys mad on the internet, banging away on their computers, you know, in their mom's basement sort of stuff. Um, but there is some criticism that it's getting that I think is justified. And I think that the, the biggest key for me not falling in line with some of that criticism that might be justified, I think that there is a large portion of the fan base that knew what this was from the beginning. This is a comic book superhero TV show. There was no other way it was going to end than to have, you know, the bad guy and the good guy fighting it out with their powers 
above the city. Like it was, it started off in a unique, inventive fashion to get there, but ultimately that's how it was going to be. This was not, this was never going to be, you know, this, this, this layered, rich, psycho comic, you know, drama about grief and loss and everything, which it had elements of. And, and the emotional core of the story was incredibly strong because that's what they stripped it down to. But at the end of the day, it was still going to be, a you know, Superman and Lex Luthor over the streets of Metropolis. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that there were just a lot of unrealistic expectations placed upon the show. And part of that is, is it, it's, you know, it's the, it's the pitfall of kind of giving an audience a mystery box and, you know, they don't know what's going on and they start speculating. And oftentimes you're going to speculate in, in fashion that some people are just overestimating, you know, what's going to be delivered, whether it was, you know, Reed Richards or, or Professor X or Mephisto or, or whatever the case may have been. And I think ultimately it's kind of like the same thing that I would tell people that complained about Game of Thrones spoiler coming uh, that would complain about what happens to Daenerys at the end of Game of Thrones. It's like, well, you haven't been paying attention then, you know, and 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 so I'm not saying the way that it was executed was necessarily the best way it could have been executed, but that ultimately what happened was exactly what was always going to happen. So I think for me that that was just kind of maybe my defense of some of that criticism. We can get more into that. But overall, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I was moved by the final moments of the episode proper. I was um, thrilled, you know, and, and anticipation was certainly built for the future of Monica Rambeau's character and obviously for the future of, of Wanda. Um, you know, what's going to happen with... with white vision. Uh, you, you know, there was a lot of stuff that, that, that obviously was left open for them to explore. Uh, I personally think there's a really good chance we're going to get a vision quest TV show. Um, you know, that'll deal with white vision after this. Obviously we know that Wanda's going to be in the Dr. Strange movie. And then of course, you know, it's pretty, pretty much been set that she's going to be, you know, a, a big player in the, in the new Avengers you know, that, that come next in the next phase. Um, so, um, yeah, I, you know, it didn't necessarily blow me away. It wasn't the best thing I've ever seen. I think that there might've been some missed opportunities, you know, it didn't give me the same feeling that, 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 that like, you know, the best of the MCU has, like I wasn't, you know, I did, it didn't have its winter soldier, you know, moment. It didn't have its end game moment. You know, I mean, I still, I, I'm, I'm, I'm of a mind that the best moments with the exception of, uh, the, you know, um, Tony's sacrifice and end game that the best moments in the MCU have come courtesy of Captain America. So, you know, that didn't, it didn't necessarily scale those heights, but overall, um, I, I, I thought it was incredibly well done. And for their first, you know, for their first step up to the plate, it, it definitely, you know, I'm not like I'm going to stop watching. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, I think I definitely want to tune into the next, uh, what, what's the next? Falcon and Falcon and winter soldier, Falcon yeah. and winter soldier. Yeah. I definitely want to tune in. Uh, I definitely want to tune in for that. Yeah. I agree with a lot of what you said. It's, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but as soon, uh, as soon as the big fight broke out between vision and white vision, I was like, Ah, uh, yes, 
of course, this is how it has to go. Uh, right. And you know, I think I, I think I said last week is that uh, one of the things about the series is that it's caused me to go back and, and rewatch um, or watch for the first time a lot of Marvel, a lot of the Marvel movies that I haven't seen yet, uh, or rewatch the movies. And I realize, like, when I get to the last half hour and the big fight breaks out, I, I tend to find myself tuning out. Uh, or, or even turn, in the case of in the case of Age of Ultron, I just turned it off entirely. Um, like, all right, all right, I know what happens. Whatever, yeah, big huge fight, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think mission accomplished in uh, investing more in these characters because I've, I've I've gone back and watched uh, Age of Ultron and Civil War and realized that when I first watched those movies, that uh, Wanda and Vision were almost just kind of like like white noise. Like I didn't mm-hmm. really, uh, I didn't really pay attention. I didn't invest too much in their characters, right? Um, so it's made me appreciate their characters a lot more, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing like what happens with those characters now. Uh, Wanda is definitely going to come back in a big part, you know, uh, as the Scarlet Witch in in future in, in future movies. I. I can't imagine that White Vision is going to be incorporated in some way. I'm sure at some point Wanda and White Vision are going to end up being together. Because basically, yeah, right before he zooms off to this the sky, never to be seen again in this episode, he says, "I am Vision." Right, and he goes off to do whatever he goes off to do. So uh, the the seed has been planted that he is uh, that he is going to come back. I was. Uh, I watched it twice. I watched it uh, yesterday morning. We're recording this on Saturday night. I watched it yesterday morning, and then I watched it last night with Betsy. Um, and the, coming to the end of the first time, like I was getting the feels, like I had to brace myself mm-hmm. not to cry, not to tear up, um, especially as they were putting the kids to bed. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is a very nitpicky quibble, and I just say this as a parent. Uh, and someone who is very like uh, my downfall sometimes watching shows like this is I, I, is I take things very literally and I'm like if the world is coming to an end I'm not putting my kids to bed to go down to have a quiet moment with Betsy like that's a moment that we're all having as a family you know yeah. what I mean you know right 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 uh, but I you know yeah I, I get it I get it like the final moment had to be between. Wanda and Vision, sure. Um, I wanted to see more. I wanted closure for more of the characters. I was disappointed that we didn't get more of Wu, James Wu. Um, Yeah. And uh, really disappointed we didn't see a lot of Darcy, because she was like... That's probably my biggest disappointment in the episode, because since she showed up in episode four, Darcy has been us. Like she right. is, um, she is the audience's eyes and ears of like the outside you. And I was just disappointed that basically it's almost reduced to like a cameo in the episode. Like she just shows up to, to pin Hayward in the truck. Uh, and then there's like a clunky line of dialogue in the, in the post credit scenes where like when someone comes up and asks what happened to, uh, oh, to yeah. Darcy and like Monica, like, Oh, she didn't want to be, I can't remember what the lie was, but it was like, it was a very clunky line of dialogue to explain why, why she was not in this scene. Right, 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 right. Um, when it seemed like it would have been easier to just have her in the scene and just give her a couple of lines. Yeah. I don't know what happened anyway. Um, 
So, like, I, yeah, I wanted to see more more closure from characters, but at the end of the day, I would rather see less and be left wanting more and make up those make up those stories right. for myself than than for it to be dragged out and like spoon feed us kind of like what spoon feed us kind of like what they did in last week's episode. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, and I think too that one of the things that um, I read somebody and it was funny because there was an article, I believe it's on Collider, and it was written in a very sarcastic manner, uh, talking about some of these unjustified criticisms of the the episode and the, and the show as a whole. And one of the things they said, very tongue-in-cheek, was uh, it's like they only were giving us a teaser for the next movie and that they didn't, you know, tell us everything in this one. And a commenter on Reddit took the statement seriously and ran with it. And of course, like a lot of the comments that they got, which they then didn't understand, were people saying like, oh, wow, that went a little over your head, didn't it? And, and, and you know, because the thing is, is it's like, I would certainly argue that this, like, this series as a whole told its story. Like, it absolutely told its story from, you know, beginning to end in, in a unique way for those first, like, four or five episodes especially. Um, but at the same time, to really get register the full impact of the story, it relied on material previously released. And much like all the previously released material, with the exception maybe of Avengers Endgame, leaves you wanting to know what's going to happen next with these characters. And I think this isn't that that doesn't make this a teaser for what's next. That just means that this is a story that takes place in a larger world. It's a part of a bigger tapestry, but it still exists as its own, you know, tile that can be appreciated by itself. And I think that certainly being the story of Wanda's grief and how she deals with it and where she, you know, I mean, there, there's no denying the growth that that character had through the course of these, you know, nine episodes. Um, so I, I, I think, uh, while I, yeah, cause I, I agree with you, like it would have been nice maybe to have a little bit more closure at the same time, we are given the luxury in a way of saying like, well, we're going to see them again. You know, we'll see Jimmy Woo again. Yeah. We're going to see, you know, we'll see Darcy again. We'll see, we'll touch base with these characters again. Same thing with Monica. It's like, let's face it. There are a shitload of questions about, you know, what Monica is now, what are her powers, you know, what, all this sort of stuff, you know, where is she going to go? I mean, we know that the old, the, the friend of her mother is Nick Fury. We know the, have you, have you seen Spider-Man Far From Home? I have not seen that yet. I was going to watch it, but that's one of the few Marvel movies that is not on Disney right now. I right. was, was going to have to go to, uh, uh, to Amazon and pay for it. And just yeah. kind of, kind of piss me off. I'm like, nah, no. I, 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 I don't, then I won't spoil, I won't spoil anything else for you. But, but, but all I will say is that, is that the, based off of that film, we know that the friend of her mother that the scroll is talking about is Nick Fury, which I think will be really cool to see, you know, what, what happens with them. Um, I was reading that timeline wise, that this actually takes place about six months prior to Spider-Man far from home. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Which I think is really, is actually kind of a, a, a cool choice, you know, where they, they set the film. Um, in the, in the timeline, but, um, yeah, again, it's one of those things where it's like, she was a great character. I'm so glad we got to spend time with her in this show, but the show wasn't 
Monica Rambeau or Photon or whatever, mm-hmm. the name of the show was WandaVision. Yeah. And, and ultimately, you know, we got what we needed. We did. Uh, I was having a look back, like, you know, like you said, like it was, uh, it was a great wrap up. Like, and it was like all about, you know, her, you know, her grief and how she processed. And uh, one thing I appreciated is that it did not shy away from she did a bad thing. Right. Uh, one of my old college buddies, I follow him on Twitter, and he's been uh, he's, he's watched the show and he's enjoyed the show, I gather, but he's been more skeptical of the show. And uh, last week, I, I can't remember if it was like before or after last week's episode, he, he just posted simply on Twitter, Wanda is the bad guy. <laughs> Because everybody else is talking like who the who the big bad is like she is, she's the bad guy. Right. She's the one who's doing this to all these people. Um, but I do like that they acknowledge um, wrapped up very succinctly and like Mon- when she apologizes to Monica, you know, like Monica, Monica says, "Hey, if I had the power to do this, I would I would bring my mom back." Yeah, and I and I yeah. think that, and I think that's the thing. Like when when people want to ride too hard, like like be critical of like what Wanda does. I'm like, if you had the power to do this, who would not do this? Right. Which, you know what? It's, I'm so glad you brought this up because I think this dovetails perfectly with uh, some legitimate, I feel anyway, legitimate criticisms that I do have of the show. Um, one being that I wish we would have gotten, we would have been clued in a little bit more to the pain that the, the citizens of Westview were feeling and going through. It was because a lot of it was, was done through throwaway lines to the point that I almost forgot that Monica has the line about like, she, you know, she could feel Wanda's pain when she was in, you know, because it was, it was kind of a throwaway line. It was like, she said it and then they moved on to something else. So I feel like they, 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 yes, Wanda did a bad thing and they didn't let us forget that by the end of the the series finale but I feel like they could have given it a they should have leaned into that a little bit more through the course of the series as a whole because I feel like it the 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 mystery let her off the hook for what she was really putting these people through sometimes and 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 so I wish they would have leaned a little bit further into it the flip side of that being especially what you just said, her actions were so justified and so filled with um, a, a, a kind of... Um, it, it's hard not to sympathize with her. She was so sympathetic as a character. Uh, I wish that we could have seen a little bit more of that from both Hayward and Agatha because ultimately Hayward is a mustache-twirling villain. He is cardboard to the nth degree. And Agatha is not far off. You know, uh, I saw this criticism. I hadn't thought about it, but I saw this criticism of of Catherine Hahn in the role of Agatha, and I think this is a fair uh, this is a fair criticism. As Agnes, she was very nuanced. Mm-hmm. As soon as she became Agatha, she became mustache twirling villain. Yeah. And I don't think she needed to be because when you look at the background that they gave the character in the show, I'm not even talking comic books here, she could have had very real reasons for wanting to figure out what the hell was going on in Westview, what was this magic she was seeing, 
oh God, this is frightening because this could be that one thing that, you know, mama always warned me about. Not, not literally, but you know, sure. Yeah. We'll go ahead. And, and she could have had a justified reason for trying to, you know, get Wanda to understand what was yeah. happening. It's, that was the and thing, that like, kind I of just like set her was, up. Yeah. Um, I feel like that was in her lines. Like that was in the dialogue. Right. But it wasn't, but it, it, did, yes. it, did, it but, didn't get, it didn't get played that way. Yeah. And I don't, and I guess maybe it had, now I'm thinking this out here, maybe it had to be played that way because at the end she is dismissed as a villain. She's right. not, she's not just a concerned witch or whatever. Like she gets sentenced to being Agnes. Yeah. The, the, and are we supposed to be okay with that? I don't know. You know? I, and this is and another credit, like the thing that I, that I didn't pick up until the second viewing and I was confused about because my assumption was is that Agatha just happened to be living in Westview. Mm. She was just living a quiet life, low-key witch, just happened to be living in Westview, and just by coincidence, Wanda comes into her Wanda comes into her town and does this thing and like where everybody else is affected, she's like, holy shit, what the hell just happened? What's going on? But it's revealed in this last episode that actually the the house that we thought was hers was actually Ralph Boner's. Right. Yes. Pietro. Yeah. And I found that confusing because I was like, well then how how did Agnes how did Agatha come into this picture? Well, I mean, it's. I think it's hinted at in the the penultimate episode that she felt the you know the power that Wanda was using, and then so inserted herself into that world. Uh, okay. And I think that that's another thing that was that kind of bothered me is that like I get I get that Ag- Agatha is you know is four hundred years old and that she you know has to be powerful in some fashion. But one of the things I said to Jess last night is like, why couldn't her power just be that she's four hundred years old? Like, why does she have to have all of this, like, magical power at her disposal? What if it is a a case of, like, this witch who, because her coven was completely destroyed by her, she's cut off to her power, but she is cursed with this immortality, but she can still sense the magic because she studied it, she knows it, so she uses what little magic she has to get in, and then, like, you know, and then wants to draw and siphon off Wanda's power for herself, something like that, which, again, it's kind of like you're saying... A lot of this stuff was in the lines, mm-hmm. but it lacked any kind of nuance or, you know, real kind of like emotional core connection that it was, that it was hard for me to see past it beyond mustache twirl and villain territory, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think that that's too bad. And, it, you know, and again, she, she unfortunately got saddled with some horribly cliche lines at the end you know the whole you have no idea what you've unleashed it's like okay yeah you know it's like come on you know between that we get it yeah uh (laughs) take one drink for every time that uh wanda says you don't know who i am Mm -hmm. (laughs) in this in this episode um yeah but all that being said i uh yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like, I, I I would have appreciated like one more hat tip back to these to the sitcom world because that's where we started off at. But I don't. Sure. Know, I really don't know how they would have done that. And maybe they did with with the, the scene of going back home and putting the boys to bed and um and whatnot there. Right. Um, 
And, and the thing is, is it's like, you know, we're, we're talking about some criticisms here, uh, but like, I want to get back to Hayward too, because I just had no thought, but anyway, uh, but there's no denying the beauty and the power of those final moments in particular between Vision and Wanda. I mean, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany were, were just so perfect. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, the, the dialogue was, was really quite beautiful. Um, you know, it's, it's like, it, it, yeah, it was just incredibly moving. It was a wonderful moment. It was, it was one of the, I think one of the emotional high points, uh, of the, the MCU, frankly, uh, even if it didn't necessarily go to the heights of, uh, of a couple other moments we've had here. But in a way, you know, looking at it truly, other than Tony and Pepper, um, and one can certainly start to make the argument, I think, for Peter Parker and, and MJ in, in the Spider-Man movies, but, like, it's the best romantic relationship we've had in the course of these films. And the reason why I'm not including, you know, Agent Carter, Peggy Carter, and, and Steve Rogers is because we never really see their romantic relationship the way that we've seen like Vision and um, and Wanda's or Pepper's and Tony's or, or, or Peter's and MJ's. So it's like, I, I, I think that in a way, like with, with Agent Carter and, and, uh, and Steve, it's up to each individual actor to pull off that emotional story arc. Whereas in these other cases, it's up to the, the, the pair together. And so I think, you know, with, with what Paul Bettany and, and Elizabeth Olsen, the writers and the directors, accomplished with that relationship is, is, is you know, I, I mean, it, it just hits all the right levels, sure. you know, especially in that last moment. Yeah. What do you have to say about Hayward? Oh, just that, you know, I, I still can't figure out what the fuck it was he wanted. Like, what did he really want to accomplish? Like, what was it that Hayward wanted? That's a good question. I, okay, I don't know. I don't. And, and the right? thing is, and I think why this, why that's a potential flaw, is that uh, I don't think we're going to see. Be, I don't think we're going to be seeing much of Hayward anymore. No, because you know, because I think, he, like, I think uh, a lot of the fans thought he was going to be like set up to be like a, a villain. In, in some upcoming movies, and I, I think like his character has had its full had its full arc. Right. Uh, I, I think the most nuanced thing that they did with Hayward is that in the scene where Wanda goes to see Vision, is that uh, he kind of plants the seed in her head to revive him. Right. And I think that that's what he like. He was basically trying to gaslight her into doing that. Well, and the other thing, too, is, is it's like, I, I wonder if there's going to be, and I hope they do in some way, I feel like Monica should have a real moment where she's like, why did my mother leave sword to this guy? Like, what did this guy, did, like, did, did he really con her into this? Did he, what, did something cause him to go wrong? Did, you know, it's like, because I feel like that's got to be a big question for her because it seems like they had a good relationship, you know, when we see... Monica returned to sword and they have the conversation and everything. It's very frank. It's honest. It's the type of conversation that you, you know, 
the, the the thing that's disappointing is that he was set up so well in that particular episode to be an interesting character and an interesting potential villain, and then I feel like it kind of just all went to waste and, and, and sure. didn't go anywhere. Yeah. So it's at, sort of like, huh. Yeah, at the point where he kicks them off the base yeah. in the fifth or sixth episode, that's like, yeah, when he goes he goes full mustache. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, and I will say on... On, on one more note to to kind of touch on that scene of when Wanda goes to see Vision, I saw a great, I assume that's genuine. It was like a, a storyboard of like what an extended version of the scene at the security desk would have looked like. And Wanda mm-hmm. kind of go, oh. did you see this? Uh, Wanda, did, yep. Wanda kind of goes off on the, on the security guard about, you know, like Tony wasn't the only one who died. In that battle, right? You, uh, you know, Vision died too. Like you, like like Natasha. Like you're not even talking about her. Like you, know, <laughs> right? You know, uh, more people died other than Tony in that final battle. And I just yeah. thought that that was, yeah, I would have loved to have seen that moment actually in the episode. You know, and, and it's weird because I I'm, I'm going to take the opposite side there. I'm glad we didn't. I felt like it was one of those cases where, you know, you hear stories about, like, De Niro, like, talking to, like, directors and screenwriters and saying, like, I don't need this piece of dialogue. I don't need this piece of dialogue. Like, basically cutting his own lines down, his own dialogue yeah. down. And I'm not saying that that's at all what Elizabeth Olsen did here. But in a way, it's like... It would have, I feel like it would have gotten in the way of the the truth and the core of the moment for her to start spouting off all these, would, would have really ultimately just been nods to stuff that anybody watching the show would have already been aware of. Yeah. You know? That's fair. Um, I think that landed on me that way because I had also just, uh, I'd recently watched Endgame. And mm-hmm. man, uh, I, I don't consider myself that emotionally attached to Tony Stark, but that funeral scene. Yeah. God damn. It hits me like, like that, that slow line back through. Ah, it hits me every damn time. When his daughter looks at happy and asks for a cheeseburger. That, that oh yeah. That, oh yeah. Me. That, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that killed me because like, you know, you know, you know, because you know, you, you know, you've lost, you know, your mom, you lost people close to you. Yeah. It is those, um, when you lose someone, it's those moments of normalcy that you have to find in the yeah. grief in the days after. Ah, I'm tearing up right now just talking about it. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so I'd recently watched that and then I read a criticism of Endgame and I hadn't really thought about it. It was like, where was Natasha's funeral? I mean, yeah, it happened off camera, blah, 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 right. whatever. Uh, but yeah. You know, I, I also wonder, too, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't have a body sure. for Natasha. Uh, I think there's probably a lot of denial amongst some of those people, you, you know, over what was, you know, and I think I, I, I'm of the firm belief that the Black Widow movie is going to actually touch on that. It's, <coughs> excuse me. I did see that suggestion that they may do like some kind of flash forward in the Black Widow movie and show like the aftermath of her. Yeah. Whatever. I'm not saying we're going to see like everybody again or anything like that. Sure. Although I'm pretty sure that, that it's, it's all but confirmed that Robert Downey Jr. is, in the Black Widow movie in a cameo. So uh, who knows who else might pop up or whatever, but... Sure. Um, 
Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, it's, it is interesting to me because, you know, you also have to think, and it's one of those things that Winter Soldier and Falcon might touch on as well, uh, especially because there's a moment in the, in the new trailer um, with uh, Falcon where he's, you know, kind of, it, it's been established, I think, by somebody that he is in Steve Rogers' house. And so it makes me wonder if, you know, old man Rogers that we see at the, at the end of Endgame has died as well. And so, and so, you know, if that's not going to play into that. So it is interesting that, you know, we're getting the opportunity to say goodbye to these characters. But I think, you know, from the perspective of like the Russo brothers, for instance, would it have made sense and would, would Tony's funeral in particular have had the impact that it had if you also ended up showing, you know, Natasha's sure. funeral and and then old man Rogers funeral and then you know what I mean like at what point like it, you know I love Return of the King don't get me wrong but at what point do you know does epilogue number three start to wear on the viewer <laughs> sure. and diminish epilogue one you sure. know <laughs> I got you I got you um, last bit of trivia maybe it's time to move on to, to Queen's Gambit uh, there's another bit of trivia I read this last week um, apparently like they shot that funeral scene that that's 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 my baby do you hear her <laughs> She's good. she's she's not upset. Just the last couple of days, she's just exploring her voice. She's not upset. <laughs> she's not mad. She'll just be sitting there, and she will just ah, and she will just she is just trying vocal cords out. That's all she's doing. Uh, anyway, uh, a bit of trivia is that uh, so they filmed that the, the funeral scene for Tony like pretty early on because they filmed um, Endgame and Infinity War back to back. So they actually right. filmed that in like the fall of two. Of 2017, I think, and with Gwyneth, when Gwyneth Paltrow saw Samuel L. Jackson on set, she turned to someone and asked what Samuel L. Jackson was doing there, because somehow she has been, she had been in multiple MCU movies and did not realize that Samuel L. Jackson had been in multiple MCU movies. Have you ever seen the cooking video with her and John Favreau? No. They're talking about this, the first Spider-Man movie. And Gwyneth is like, oh, I wish I could have been in that. And John Favreau's like, y- you, you were in it. And she's like, no, I wasn't. And he's like, y- yeah, you were in that movie. And she's like, no, I wasn't. And he goes, yes, you were. Do you remember the scene with, with you and me and Tony and, and, and Peter Parker? You know, Tom Holland's there. And, you know, he's, he's getting ready to take the suit. And he decides he's not going to take it. And then, you know, that's when Tony decides to propose to you. And she's like... I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> John Favreau just looks at her like, wow. Okay. You were in that movie. Like we were in that movie together. <laughs> She's talking too much of her own goop or whatever. <laughs> right. Whatever, whatever it is. Whatever her product line is. I'm like, oh, that's. She, I mean, she's so good. Like I, I enjoy Gwyneth Paltrow in everything that I oh. see her in. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. separate like her, her acting ability because she's awesome versus. Yeah. Whatever she's and got she, going on. And, and yeah, her, I mean, her participation in the MCU, it's a, it's one of those things where they, they've really, every step of the way, they've just found the right people. And, and she is one of the, you know, the people that really makes the whole thing go. Um, yeah. You know, and, and talking about like relationships, like her relationship with, with Tony Stark, with Robert Downey Jr. is just fantastic. And, and I think kind of, you know, brings me back to, to the whole thing here is that like, in, in in so many ways, what WandaVision did is create, I'm not saying she wasn't before, 
but it really created an absolute bankable star for fans of the MCU in Elizabeth Olsen. Mm-hmm. Like people will now look at Elizabeth Olsen in a similar light to they're looking at some of these other names. Now she's not just kind of like the white noise like you were talking about earlier. And I think that that's, you know, a kind of part of the brilliance of, of this series as well. So, um, I will say just real quick before we move on to Queen's Gambit that the, you know, the final post credit scene, uh, I thought was so well done. Uh, you know, great nod to Dr. Strange because we've seen Dr. Strange do exactly what Scarlet Witch was doing before where he uses kind of like his astral projection to read books and that sort of stuff while he's, you know, drinking tea basically. Uh, and, uh, I will say that the thing that was very interesting for me is there was something kind of almost sinister about the Scarlet Witch. Like, we see Wanda sitting there on the steps, kind of alone, and it's been theorized that that's her, her home, um, where she's from, and um, it, it just kind of seemed kind of innocent, you know, solitude, this person kind of really trying to come to center, ground herself after everything that's happened, and now she's dealt with this grief. And, and, and yet, the look of Scarlet Witch... And everything, there was something that I felt that was a little bit sinister, that I got this little bit of a vibe that was, you know... uh, There was. It reminded me of how they left Ed Norton's Hulk Mm. at the end of that movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I think they were trying to keep the... If I recall correctly, they were trying to keep the door open that if they needed to make Hulk a bad guy or someone to be reined in in a future movie, that it was kind of setting the stage for that. Uh, but I have to assume, like, uh, Doctor Strange is coming out in 2022. Surely they have, they have to have that script locked down. Oh, yeah, they've already filmed most of it, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so yeah. So, yeah. so they know what she's going to be. We'll see. Right. It'll be interesting. Right. Um, It'll be very interesting. Oh, and it's worth noting that we hear the kids' voices while she's oh, yes, yeah. Scarlet, which is paging through the book. And, and I think ultimately, you know, uh, last thing I promise, the thing that the show did, too, for me is that it earned the potential return of the kids and vision. Yeah. Like when the show started, I was very much like, kind of like, man, I don't, I understand if vision comes back to life. I was even kind of making the argument. If he comes back to life, it's a comic book trope. It's fine. I get it. No worries. But there was a part of me that did not want to see that happen in this show because I felt like it would have been like kind of a cop out because it's like, here's this person dealing with all this grief. And at the end she gets what she wanted most anyway. And it's just kind of like, well, okay, fine. So the lovely thing is, is the show didn't do that. The show took everything away from her, made her give everything up, made her make that sacrifice. So in a way there's this, like, I don't think it would cheapen anything if a few movies down the road or whatever vision comes back, they get the kids back. And there is this moment of happiness for her. I, I, I feel like it's it's it the show earned that for her, which is kind of cool because I think oftentimes, you know, in, in, in comic books or anything that, you know, where they bring somebody back to life, you're just kind of left feeling like, eh, OK, I saw that coming a mile away, you know. Sure. Um, so so anyway, I, I yeah, I, it's weird because I think that there are some very real criticisms out there. But overall, I really enjoyed the show. I enjoyed the finale. I like where things got left. And I'm certainly looking forward to what's next. I did. I will. I'm I'm probably going to go back and watch it again sometime. Like the oh, entire yeah. series as a whole, like start from the beginning. And now, especially since we've saw all the, the, the sitcom characters, quote, right. uh, in the last episode, like go back and, and watch it. Yeah. Queen's Gambit. You've seen it yeah. all. I just yeah. I'm like three and a half episodes in. 
Um, and, and we're going to talk about it. It's going to be relatively spoiler free. I'm just going to talk about like my, my overall impressions. Um, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it so far. I keep, uh, I've just been burned so much by bad writing in TV shows yeah. that watching, uh, especially the first episode, first couple episodes, maybe, um, I kept waiting for the, for the stereotypical thing to happen. Yeah. And then it doesn't happen. And I am pleasantly surprised. Uh, doesn't doesn't it like by doing that by by having something so smartly written doesn't it make you like I don't know how you are watching other things but like I never once watching Queen's Gambit thought about picking up my phone you know I never once while watching Queen's Gambit thought about going and doing something else I never like we never paused it you know anytime we started it we watched it like all the way through uh, and, and, and there was always this overwhelming sense of like tension, sometimes bordering on anxiety while watching it because it never, yeah, it never did play into like any stereotypes. It never did play into any, like, it, it really just felt like this genuine, honest, well-written, well-constructed thing that drew me in completely to the point where I was like, I noticed that I was like tense while watching it at times because it had me in a way that, you know, I couldn't like let go. Yeah. Uh, I'm horribly addicted to my phone. So even if I'm really into something, (laughs) I'm constantly like, I mean, I mean, also it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking stuff up on IMDB too. And like trying to like actors like, Oh, where, you know, where I know that from, whatever. Um, but yeah, like I, I just kept, you know, I kept expecting her to very quickly get in trouble for playing chess, for getting in trouble mm-hmm. to playing chess with the with the janitor. Um, I expected her to to get caught with the pills, but it played out differently than than what I thought. Yeah, it was going to play out. Um, yeah. So yeah, and it's just, it's a, a visually stunning show. Um, yeah. The the most recent episode I watched takes place in Vegas, like old Vegas. Um, I don't think we've said like the, the show takes place like uh, starts off in the 1950s up into the 1960s. So it was like 1968 Vegas. I'm always fascinated when they show old Vegas and um, in TV shows. Um, have you ever seen have you ever seen um, Bugsy or uh, what's the other? There's another one I can't think of right now. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're basically like mob movies or whatever, but set in like old Vegas. No. Uh, like, okay. Yeah. I did say, uh, yeah. did you ever watch the short-lived series Vegas? Uh, no, I did. The one with Michael Chiklis, right? Yeah. My, um, yeah. Michael Chiklis, Dennis Quaid, yeah. uh, Jason O'Mara from, from Life on Mars. I watched the first few episodes. Like, I, I enjoyed it, but it was like one of those things like watching, like, yeah, I know that this is going to get canceled, so I'm just going to walk away. Now. Yeah, and it it's, did. Uh, you know, I always, I always feel like when, whenever you know, ABC, NBC, or CBS tries their hand at making some sort of like prestige television, it always feels like a show with no teeth. You know, yeah, it's oh like, yeah. it's like, I'm not saying that this is what Vegas was, mind you, but I'm just saying like, it's like, it's like the Sopranos when they put it on A and D for a while, and it was like <laughs> they had to cut out so much and censor it so much. It's yeah. just sort of like mm, okay, there's whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, the writer strike back in '08. They put Dexter on CBS. Right. Uh, one, that just got a huge backlash from, from yeah. people. And, you know, I'm, what, I, I can, I can kind of see the backlash. I mean, yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, also, I, I think I may have tried to watch one episode. It's like, all right, how, how are they toning this down for right for for well, prime what, time? What will they do? <laughs> network network television. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some, I, I just saw an ad on my Facebook feed the other day. Some some new streaming platform that is specifically to take shows with uh, with cursing and questionable content, and basically it's like re-editing them. To make it more palatable. Like the ad I saw was specifically for Better Call Saul. Oh, man. Uh, which I was like, uh, okay, yeah, whatever. Right. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so yeah, the the Queen's Gambit, like it, uh, yeah, I've been pleasantly surprised. Um, it's kept me entertained at every turn. As well as, it's the same thing with WandaVision. I appreciate that I know it is a limited run series. Yes. Yes. I, I appreciate knowing it's not going to get dragged out. It's not a commitment. They're not going to jump the shark. And it never does. I, uh, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, granted, that's hard to do when you've got, you know, seven episodes. But at the same time, like, it's just, it's just such a refreshing piece of, of art, honestly, in so many, so many ways. And those, and those first few episodes... You, you know, just draw you in so perfectly, and I feel like there are certain moments. That, did you ever have? A, did you ever have a, a worry or a concern that any of these like men in, in her life early on were going to end up like molesting her or oh, anything yeah, like that? Yeah. Oh, and I how totally. much of a relief is it that you're like, oh no, they don't. No. That's great. I, I will tell you the first <laughs> moment I had that in in, in. it's uh, when the couple adopt her, and yeah. uh, and on the car ride home, her and the guy exchange a look through the rearview mirror and I was like and I think I, I even said something out loud and I was like oh no is he I can't remember how I worded it but basically because Betsy's been through it all like she's already watched it and she's rewatching it with me mm-hmm. and I can't remember how I asked it but basically I was like oh fuck is it is it going to go down that road <laughs> and she just said like you're, you're going to be surprised at like what his arc is yeah which yes, is which I is have. no arc he's he's almost very quickly out of the picture right, uh, right, and right, as right. far as I am I don't know he may come back I don't know yeah but yeah yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I uh I didn't expect it of the janitor. But yeah, I expected it of the of the father figure. Um and maybe I can't remember his name. The guy who's shaping up to be the love interest in the first oh, three or four uh, episodes. Uh, Towns? Yes, Towns, yeah. 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 Um but yeah, Man, I, I, I can't wait. To, I can't wait to talk to you when you finish the show. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, like it's things like that where I, I I I constantly expect like the bad stereotypical thing to happen, right? And and it does not. Yeah. It. I, I, one of the things too that the show does so remarkably well is I feel like it earns it just it earns things so perfectly, even down to like. When she, it's, I think it's in the second episode. Uh, yeah, it's in the second episode when she wins the Kentucky State Championship. Yeah. Um, like, I remember watching that episode with Jess, and as we're watching her, you know, facing these people, like we're at, like we were actively like, do you think she's going to win? Do you think she's going to win every match? Do you think she's going to, you know, all like all of this sort of stuff? And and the fact that this show was able to kind of create just enough doubt 
that we're asking that question, it felt so good when she won Mm -hmm. because it didn't feel like a foregone conclusion. You know, it made sense that she did. It didn't feel like it came out of nowhere. It didn't feel like there's something about the show that they've just constructed it in such a way that it never feels easy, Mm -hmm. but it also doesn't feel hard for the sake of being hard. I, 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 I'm just, yeah, I'm so, I'm blown away by it. I'm, I'm I'm so glad that you're enjoying it thus far. I really am. Yeah. Are you a, are you a chess player at all? So I played my my dad. Uh, you know, wanted me to play when I was younger. So I played quite a bit from a young age until I was about like 14. And I remember I never. Here's the thing. I never read anything about chess. I never. Like, I just played, you know, and I just, like, had fun. And and my dad, like, when, you know, Chess Master 3000 or whatever for the computer came out, like, he bought that for me, and he was like, you know, play this. But I but I just I just played, and I didn't really care if I won or lost. I just played. And I remember I went to chess club when I was 14, when I was a freshman in high school. And I, you know, I sat down, didn't really know anybody. I kind of knew one of the guys. And we sat down, we started playing, and somebody was watching, and they were like, oh, the blah, blah, blah opening. And that was all it took for me to just kind of be like, I'm done. <laughs> like, uh, I have no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't care what you're talking about. And the thing is, is I ended up, like, like I won, but I just never went back, and I never sure. really played after that. Yeah. Yeah, so I, uh, I bought a set, I was just kind of curious about it, like, like maybe like freshman year in high school. I uh, started playing with a friend, and which felt like we played a few games, um, just like over the court, like maybe like one day, like two days, whatever. It was like a, a brief thing, and then it just kind of, you know, it fell off. Uh, and then mm-hmm. like and like high school friendships do, we kind of drifted apart. Uh, we, we, we like we stayed in each other's circles. We just didn't have like any like one on one hangout time like we used to. Uh, and then like my senior year, he came over one time and we played chess, and he handed me my lunch. <laughs> every damn time because apparently like because uh, I was more like I, I taught him chess like I taught him the rules of chess when we sat down mm-hmm. and started playing my freshman year and then we went away I stopped playing it apparently he continued playing it uh, enough that he that he got pretty decent and he just like I mean we, we may have played like three or four games and he yeah. just every single time and you know what the, the, the heartbreaking thing of that story is he, he's a wonderful, nice guy in a lot of ways. Um, uh, he was a paramedic. He's an EMT. Um, he was there at some key moments uh, in the final days of my dad's passing. Mm. Uh, my dad's life. But we had a falling out a few years ago because somewhere along the way, he became horribly, wears it on his sleeve, racist. Mm. There's no end to that story Other than just a sad ending I'm like, eh, yeah, we had a falling out So yeah yeah, It's weird, I had two really, 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 really Good close friends when I was in high school And, uh, junior high, high school And, uh, I've actually Saw one of them not too long ago When I was in North Carolina For a, um, work thing Back when I had a job and, uh, and uh, you know, we, we got along. It was really, really lovely to see him. Um, we talked mostly about old times and family. And on, like, my last day there, we 
briefly touched on politics. And as soon as that happened, it was just sort of like, oh, okay. And it was just like, all right, well, you know what? We've had a really good time and, and I, it's been great seeing him and I will probably, you know, keep in touch as much as one does in this day and age. Sure. And then, you know, following some of him stuff, his stuff on Facebook, especially over the past year, past six months or so has just been really, really, really hard. And this other friend who I hadn't spoken to in a long time, um, Mira Furlong, who played uh, Delin in Babylon 5 and was also on, uh, she was Rousseau on Lost. She passed away not too long ago, unfortunately. Oh, no. Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, actually. It's been a little bit longer than that now. Uh, she was, I guess she had cancer and, you know, um, hadn't really told anybody, just went out on her own terms, that sort of thing. And it reminded me of him because one of the things that we loved so much is it, we loved Babylon 5, we loved Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We, you know, that was something that we really bonded over and um, he, uh, and I just, you know, when I, when I moved away from North Carolina, um, there was really no goodbye. There was nothing, you know, just, we just, and that, that's that. And we were Facebook friends for just a little bit in college. Like I remember seeing some pictures of what he was doing in college and, you know, that sort of stuff. And then I didn't see anything from him. And somewhere along the way, we were no longer Facebook friends. So anyway, when she died, it just made, for some reason, it made me think about him a lot. So I friended him on Facebook knowing full well that with my experience with my other friend, you know, could be dangerous territory. Maybe one of the reasons he unfriended me was some of the, you know, crazy liberal progressive bullshit that I post, you know, who knows? Uh, and so, you know, I did that dance where he, he accepted the friend request and then I went and I, I looked at his page and it was just kind of like, it took me a moment of, of, of kind of scrolling through and it was like, Oh, okay, we're cool. Like, it's, it's like, it's like, cause here's the thing. It's like, you can have a different point of view. That's mm-hmm. fine. Like, I don't mind you have a different point of view, but when you get mean or racist or crazy about it, yeah. then I just, I'm kind of like, ah, oh, damn. So, so luckily there was none of that. And, uh, and, and it was nice to kind of reconnect because unfortunately his stepfather, uh, who was a great guy, you know, we, we, we loved dearly, thought he was great. He passed away not too long ago. And so it was just nice to be able to kind of like re- reconnect in some small way. Um, but anyway, uh, it's, it's interesting how those, those, those changes occur and, 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 you know, you can have had these almost life altering experiences with someone mm-hmm. and they mean so much to you. And then you reach a point where you realize we're not the same people anymore. It's so, <laughs> I, I think the other day is like, why is it that Facebook makes you hate the people you personally know? And Twitter makes you love people who you've never met before. <laughs> that is a fair assessment. And I have some ideas, but yeah. Uh, anyway. But one thing I will say mm-hmm. is that, you know, it's the, the great thing about both of the shows that we've spoken about today yeah. <laughs> is that uh, I feel like these, you know, these characters, the, you know, both these strong independent female characters for that matter um end up something somewhere different than where they started mm-hmm. um even even in the three and a half episodes you've seen you know you've seen beth go on on, on a journey already much less where she ends up at the very end of the series so mm-hmm. i look forward to seeing what you, what you think when she gets there and 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 i just think that it's you know i i guess connecting with works of art in a time where over the past year 
it's hard not to feel like we're all kind of in stasis because we're not connecting the same way. We're not doing the same things that we used to do. It's, it's, it's nice to see these works of art where people are changing and growing. Um, because I, I know for me personally, there have been a lot of times where I've kind of had to remind myself, it's like, well, that's still happening, Sam. It's just not happening in the same way that you're used to. And, 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 and in spite of all the things I've been through in the past year and some of the loss that, that I've suffered and starting therapy and, and dealing with, you know, addiction issues and all this sort of stuff. It's, it's still, in spite of all of that, sometimes it's still hard to like really monitor the change and the growth that might be happening because sure. everything just kind of feels the same sometimes. Sure. So it's just really nice to be able to connect with works of art to see people processing things, whether it's grief or addiction or both or, or you know, whatever that might be and going on these journeys and getting some of that kind of catharsis that I think we all need right now. Yeah. And, and um, you know, whether WandaVision hit all the right spots for, for, for you, listener, please let us know uh, or whether or not you've seen Queen's Gambit or plan on it or whatever. I can just, I, I certainly think Queen's Gambit is a high watermark of, of television and Netflix mm-hmm. bar none. And, you know, and, you know and what? I this. gave us a great journey. So. I hear it right now. We have the Queen's Gambit. There's a lot of television out there, but I'm just going to use these two benchmarks right now. We have the Queen's Gambit. Oh, you're going to go there. I know I, what's I'm coming fucking next. Go there. Last year we had the Tiger King. Oh, thank God. I'm so glad you did that. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> And let me tell you, huh. and I'm sure that I may, I may have shared this on the podcast before. Here's my here's my assessment on Tiger King. I got like three episodes into it and I stopped. Had yeah. Tiger King aired at any other moment in history, it would have been canceled like that. And I mean canceled in the way we talk about cancel culture, canceled. That yeah. show, that entire story is problematic as shit. Yeah. And the only reason it got by was that it happened like right in lockdown and we were all shell shocked and our guard was down. I am so very glad that like I don't I don't see memes and I don't hear people talking about that show anymore. Like maybe every once in a blue moon, like I'll see like the, you know, I'm never going to financially recover from this thing or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like once in a blue moon, I'll yeah. still see that. But like for the most part, I just love that, it, that, that, that we're radio silent on that goddamn thing. Cause it was, yeah, I, I, Jess and I watched a few episodes too. And it's like, ah, no way. Ti- tell no way. I, in its moment in history, the, the, the tiger King and, and maybe men will, will, uh, I, I don't know, women too, but I know that this was my experience when I went through my divorce in my 20s. The Tiger King is the show that you hook up with, you hook up with <laughs> like right after you and your, your spouse and your partner separate and you're just, and you're just shell-shocked and you're just not yourself. Yeah, but then yeah. years later, no one wants to admit that, that, that they did that. That that was, that that was the, yeah. That that, that was, was their the thing. Up. Yeah, you're not wrong, my friend. You're not wrong. It felt like that. Yeah. It felt like that. Anyway, so that's this week. On that note. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, next week, um, I, I'd be interested in diving into Doctor Who, and I'll let you decide. How, how do you want to do that? Um, go back in and dive into the first uh, return episode, dive into a particular key season or episode or whatever. I'd be open to that. You know, I really... I, I, 
I really want to, not that I want to do any sort of like chronological order or anything like that whatsoever, but I just think a really lovely place to start would be with the very first episode from 1963. All right. All right. You, you shoot me a message. You tell me how to find that very first episode. Yeah. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. I feel like I can't remember if it was, I feel like sometime like late high school, early college. I stumbled on, like, the Sci-Fi Channel was doing a marathon or something, like, back in the day. And I think yeah, I, I, I may have seen, like, a, a, like a tidbit of an episode of, like, old-school Doctor Who. It's weird because there was a time when um, Sci-Fi Channel aired the 1996 TV movie. And for the first time in, like, five years, it hadn't aired since its original airing, and then they aired it. And, That's right. Um, That's right. Because it was like a and big, then, like, yeah, TV event. Like, they did some, yeah. like, yeah, I remember that now, yeah. And then BBC America aired the classic series for a while, but they only, they, they only showed, if I'm not mistaken, they only showed, like, the fourth and fifth Doctor, pretty much. They didn't show much else. And then they started showing some of the other Doctors. PBS, of course, had aired the sh- you know the series for a while as well before all that. But yeah, it was it was hard to it was hard to find uh, hard to come by the classic series unless you had a BBC America or um, were picking up the the video cassettes when they came out. Uh, but Sci Fi Channel might have uh, at one point aired some of them. There was weird rights issues too because at one point like Universal um, had rights, I think, to some of the shows. Uh, and then eventually Warner Brothers. Now it's Warner Brothers that does all the like sure. U.S. distribution, or did for a while. Maybe they don't anymore. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it's all sorts of weird. But but I'll take care of you. I'll take care. Okay. Of you. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, nineteen sixty-three, November November twenty-third, uh, uh, nineteen sixty-three. Um, Jesus. Okay. The sh- the day after Kennedy's assassination. Day after Kennedy's assassination. Jesus. In fact. The first episode, for the longest time, it was rumored that the first episode was preempted due to news coverage uh, of Kennedy's assassination. But but that was untrue. It's just that uh, I, I think that that might have come about because of an American thinking that. Because the way that the BBC airs things sometimes, they'll air things at like 6.05 or 6.15 or something like that, as opposed to right on the hour. Sure. Programs don't necessarily start on the hour like they do in, in, in the States. So uh, it, it's actually untrue. The show wasn't wasn't preempted. It was just started at, I, I believe it was, yeah, like 6.15 or something like that. Um, but yeah, it was the day after Kennedy's assassination. And there's a lovely callback to that in um, uh, an episode, like, uh, a 25th anniversary episode called Remembrance of the Daleks, which is, um, it's, it, it's subtle, but, but it's, it's a really nice little, little callback to that fact, um, that it was after the, the assassination of Kennedy. Wow. I'm interested in seeing that. Yeah. Send me a link. Let me know. I got you. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, on that uh, note, we should have, this is the first time we've recorded in the evening in quite a while. It is, yeah, I know. We're usually like afternoon, but it just you know worked out this way scheduling wise. Yeah, I got yeah, I got some work this weekend, so yeah, yeah. But hey, it's cool though. I'm glad you know we're we're keeping it a little shorter. We didn't have quite as much to talk about, and I think you know hopefully this will be this will be more the template going forward, keeping things around an hour. Yeah. Um, unless we have you know something something huge to discuss, but uh, there was an article. Did you see the article, the Deborah Pratt uh, interview where she 
basically called out like an NBC executive uh, talking about how they were the person that we had to like write letters to to get a, a revival of Quantum Leap. And that she has the story all ready to go and sketched out, and she's excited about doing it. And she also took sole credit for creating the series, by the way. You know what? I will give her that sole credit. Oh, I will too, especially because somebody refuted it by saying Don Belisario said that he had created the show. And then the thing is, is like when you read about Don Belisario's creation of the show, you realize it's absolutely nothing like Quantum Leap except that it involved time travel. I would totally, absolutely buy that. Yeah. No, send me that article. But, we'll share it on the page because, yeah. Yeah, 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 we should. We should. It's behind a paywall. Uh, uh, I had some difficulty reading it or whatever, but I'll still send it to you because uh, it's, it's just worth it's, it's, it's worth at least putting out there because she does talk about the, the revival a bit and, yeah. and, and wanting to do it and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and she does. She drops the name of the NBC executive that people need to. And, and here's, to. here's the thing on a final note. If you're still listening, Lister, thank you for sticking around. But here's a final <laughs> note. I, I may even want you to, like, edit this and, like, throw this back at the beginning of the episode because I think this is an important comment. People should be paying more attention to what Deborah Pratt has to say right now about a revival than Scott Bakula. I love Scott Bakula. <laughs> but listen. <laughs> I feel like in interviews, I get the sense that Scott Bakula is being incredibly polite. He is very grateful for, for, for this show and having this experience. But I also think he's perfectly happy if he never plays Sam Beckett ever again. Mm-hmm. Deborah Pratt is fucking dedicated to this show, and she <laughs> wants to get it back on TV. So yeah. pay attention to Deborah Pratt. I'm with you on that one. We should we should get T-shirts made. Pay attention to Deborah Pratt. <laughs> we should. We should. Yeah. Yeah. Betsy and I keep talking about opening a T-shirt shop, and like now with Facebook, like you can put your merch on just on Facebook. Uh, listeners, right? let us know. Would you buy? <laughs> believe Deborah Pratt. <laughs> there you go. Believe women, especially Deborah Pratt. I don't know. We'll work on it. Uh. On, on that note, listeners. Yeah, it's been a wonderful journey. Wonderful. I'm glad that we got to talk about WandaVision, and I'm really looking forward to what you have to say about Queen's Gambit next. And I'm really looking forward to, to Doctor Who next week. Next, yeah. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Thank you, listeners, and we will see you all next week. Bye. Take care, everybody. Close.